Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the young king of Judah as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now in the seventh year in which Jehu was the king in Israel is when this king began to reign. As you remember, he was just one year old when his dad was killed by Jehu. He was hid for six years. And so uh, in the seventh year in which Jehu was reigning, this young man began to reign. Now Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And so uh, he was more or less a puppet leader. Jehoiada the priest was the influence behind the throne. However, there were high places of worship where the people burned incense and offered sacrifices, which was following after the pagan customs And these they did not destroy. And of course, that remained the blotch on the kingdom. Now Jehoiash, this young king, as he grew older, he he ordered that they take all of the money that was brought into the temple and they use it to repair the temple. For the temple had come into a state of disrepair because the people were worshiping on the high places, and they were worshiping Baal and all. And so the temple of God had come into uh, a state of disrepair, and uh, the king uh, Jehoash ordered that they take the money and they repair all of these places in the temple. But after a period of time, the priests had had done nothing in the repair of the temple. So Jehoash came and said, what's happened? How come you haven't made the repairs, and the priests were pocketing all of the money. So Jehoiada put this agape box in there. He got a box and put a hole in the top of it so that the people could drop the money in the box so that the priests couldn't get it. And they then took the money that the people would drop in the box and they began to repair uh, the temple. And they gave it to the builders and the masons and so forth who began to restore the temple building. Now at this time, Haziel, who had taken and had captured the area where the Reubenites and the Gadites and the tribe of Manasseh were living, he now had moved his troops down into uh, the area between Jerusalem and the coast, the city of Gath, which was a Philistine city. And he had taken the city of Gath and was now moving his Syrian army to uh, besiege Jerusalem. And Jehoiash took all of the gold and the silver and all, and he he bought off Haziel. he, He gave him all of this money and said, hey, look, we surrender, and here's all of the money. So he paid him off, and Haziel... Uh, returned to, the, to Syria, but the temple was robbed of all of its treasures 
the gold and silver vessels and all uh, that were taken by uh, Haziel. We come in verse 19 to the death of Joash. He was killed by his servants who conspired against him, and his son Amaziah began to reign in his stead. Now, we're going to move north again to the reign of Jehoiahaz over Israel in chapter 13. So up in Israel, Jehu has died, and his son Jehoiahaz begins to reign over Israel. They're in Samaria, and he reigned for 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I told you before that Israel did not have one decent king. Of every king of Israel, it is declared he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not one of them followed after the Lord. How tragic. Continued in the sins of Jeroboam, the first king, who had led the people away from Jehovah to the worship of the calves. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He delivered them into the hand of Haziel, the king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, who was the son of Haziel. And Jehoiahaz sought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria was oppressing them. And the Lord raised up a Savior for Israel, so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel began to dwell in their own cities, their own tents, as before time. Nevertheless, they did not depart from their sins, but they walked in them, and re there remained the, the grove, the place of pagan worship in the city of Samaria. And so the people were really cut down, and the death of Jehoiahaz is recorded in verse 8. The rest of his deeds are in the books of the, uh, the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Now, we're going to come back to, we have his death recorded, but we're going to come back to Jehoiahaz in chapter 14. So try and hold that in your mind. We get his death here, but as we get back to Amaziah, because Amaziah related to Jehoiahaz, we'll come back to Jehoiahaz. Now, the rest of the acts of Joash, who is also Jehoash, Jehoash, and all that he did, the fighting against Amaziah, are written in the books of the Chronicles of the King of Israel. So we'll, uh, we don't have that in the Chronicles, but we will have more of that in the next chapter. Now we turn to Elisha and the death of Elisha. Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So this is what is called parenthetical. We're still, uh, Joash is still king. We've already recorded his death. But now we're, we're recording about Elisha and he, is, he came down when Elisha was sick. Now, this to me is interesting. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, Two men stand out as, as having great faith for miracles. One is Elijah, and the other is Elisha. As, Elisha was, or as Elijah was 
ready to be caught up into heaven, he said to Elisha, what do you want? He said, I'd like a double portion of the spirit that is upon me. He said, if, you're, if you see me when I go, it will be granted. If you don't, then it won't be granted. So Elisha was there and he saw Elijah caught up into heaven. And his life was a life of miracles. Marvelous miracles of God were wrought by this man, Elisha, a man of great faith. But this particular verse of Scripture, now Elisha fell sick of the sickness whereof he died. Let me tell you something. People of great faith get sick. People of tremendous faith die. And it is folly to believe that sickness or death results from a lack of faith or commitment to God. Sickness and death happen to everybody. But there are always those who are trying to sell snake oil. From the days of the early prairie, the cure-all, from bunions to earaches. And there always seems to be someone offering the spiritual snake oil or the panacea or the cure-all to all of the problems that a Christian faces. And these panaceas are offered to people and they go through Various stages, when they're offered, you know, the book is written, and all you have to do is praise the Lord. And if you just praise the Lord for anything and everything, then that's going to be a cure-all. Once you learn to really praise the Lord, it's all going to work out smoothly, you know. All of these people had all these horrible problems until they began to praise the Lord for the problem. And once they started praising the Lord, the problem went away. Let me tell you something. There are some problems you can praise the Lord for from now to eternity, and they're not going to go away. And I think it's absolutely idiocy to praise the Lord for some of the things that happen. My uncle died as an alcoholic. Oh, praise the Lord. No, that's tragic that he should die an alcoholic. But people are offering these cure-alls. Enough faith, you never need to be sick. Enough faith, you'll always be prosperous. And the spiritual cure-alls that are offered. And they go for a while, but soon there are people who try it and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden, as they share their failure, they find that other people have experienced the same failures. They've been praising the Lord for a long time. Nothing's happened to their situation. And they've been believing nothing's happened. Who really can understand the ways of God? I will frankly confess, I don't understand the ways of God. Now, don't let that surprise you. If I stood up here and told you I understood the ways of God, then I would be a first-class liar. Any man tells you, well, I understand the ways of God. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
and he is contradicting God because God said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, for my ways are beyond your finding out. And I frankly confess, I do not know the mysteries of God. I do not know why God allows certain beautiful Christians to be sick. I do not know why God allows many beautiful Christians to suffer. I do not know why many beautiful Christians are in prison in Siberia and in China and been tortured for their faith. I do not know why James was beheaded and Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded and the early disciples all suffered martyrdom because they believed God just as much as any of these pseudo-prophets today. And if God wanted us to all be wealthy and prosperous and all, then he would have declared it plainly in the Scripture and there would be a consistency to it within the Christian body. It's a tragedy the way that these doctrines have proliferated through the country. People so anxious to believe. Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness wherever he died. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God is opposed to you. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong and God is punishing you because you are sick. It isn't a sign of second-class spiritual development or growth. The best of God's children get sick. And it is tragic to kind of lay that kind of a thing on, well, there's something wrong in your life, or, you know, if you only had enough faith, or, you know, just confess your sin, whatever you've been doing, and God will heal you. We'll be getting to the book of Job soon, and we'll learn about this kind of doctrine. <laughs> so he came to Elisha, who was there reading sort of on his deathbed, and Elisha said to the king, Joash, take your bow and your arrows. And he said, now put your hand on your bow and draw back. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. He said, now open the window towards the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And the arrow, he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the deliverance from Syria, for you will smite the Syrians at Aphek until you have consumed them. He said, now take your arrows. And he took them and he said to the king of Israel, now smite the arrows on the ground. And the king smote the arrows on the ground three times. And Elisha became upset. He said, why did you just strike three times? Why didn't you smite five or six times? Because then you would have utterly consumed the Syrians, but now you will only defeat them three times. So Elisha died, and they buried him. And at this time, the Moabites began to send their bands into the land, sort of marauding bands. And there, were, there was a man who had died, and as they were getting ready to bury him, they saw this band of Moabites coming in. And so they just dropped the guy into the grave and, and began to run and they dropped him into the grave where Elisha was buried. And when this guy's body hit the bones of Elisha, he came to life and stood up. 
That to me is interesting and exciting. Such power in Elisha that even the bones, they're in the grave. This guy's body hitting them. The guy comes back to life. But Haziel, the king of Syria, was harassing Israel during the whole time of Jehoiahaz. But the Lord was gracious, had compassion on them and respect because of his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he would not destroy them nor cast him out of his presence as yet. So Haziel, the king of Syria, died. Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad the cities which had been taken from Jehoiaz, Jehoiahaz, his father, by war, and three times Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. Now, we're coming again to Amaziah, who became the king in Israel at the death of his father, who was assassinated at the end of chapter 12. Now, in the second year that Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, was the king of Israel, Amaziah, whose father's name was also Joash, the king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 29 years, and his mother's name was Jehoiadan. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not as much as David, his father. He did according to all of the things as Joash his father did. Now notice, not as much as David his father. David wasn't his father directly, but was his great, 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 great grandfather. But uh, in, in the Bible, they don't always signify the great, 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 greats. I only point this out here because there are certain people who fancy that the Bible has errors in it. And when you get to the book of Daniel, a book that the critics especially like to attack because it's such a totally damaging book for those that don't believe that God was able to speak to men, where the prophecies of Daniel are so accurate and so intricate that the only way the Bible critics could do anything to destroy Daniel was to say that Daniel didn't write it. It was written by some fellow some 300, 200, 300 years later who put Daniel's name to it, a very devout young man who wrote this fanciful story after the history happened, and he was really just recording history, but then he put Daniel's name on it to look like Daniel had written it, but it was actually, they say, written after the fact. Well, the fellow was very clever because he deceived Jesus in the thing. Because Jesus refers to the prophecy of Daniel. And when you see the desolation, the abomination of desolation, as was spoken by Daniel the prophet. So these Bible critics are actually putting themselves up as smarter than Jesus. But I'm not surprised. That's why I have said I have very little respect for these supposed theological seminaries and brilliant men who have done their best to take away from the work of God in the Scriptures. 
But in one of the things that they find fault with in Daniel is that it talks about Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. When in reality, Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, the Bible critics say, you see, it calls Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he wasn't really, Neopolizer was, was the son, and of course now he was the grandson. And so the fact that it refers to him as the son of Nebuchadnezzar, they, they try to use that. But here the Bible refers to him as the son of David. And because it, the Bible doesn't have the term, the Hebrew didn't have the term grandson or great-grandson, it was just the son. And as far as my descendants go down the line, they, they, they refer back to me as the father. So the Bible is true, and these brilliant men are liars. The Bible says that God be true and every man a liar. So I'm only quoting the scripture. Worldly wisdom is so worthless when it comes to the Word of God. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 12-14 through 14 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you. May His hand be upon your life this week. And may God work in your life in the changing of your nature that God might conform you into the image of Christ, that you might become the person that God wants you to be. And may your life be used as a witness for God's glory. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Hey, I want to tell you about a biblical counseling ebook by Chuck Smith. It's pretty easy to download and takes only a minute. I can't tell you how grateful I am for something like this. It's a game changer for anyone who needs to counsel or talk with someone on the spot. Like when I'm talking with my friends and a complicated issue comes up, I can do a quick search on my phone and get immediate answers that lead them to God's Word. 
So not only do I get Pastor Chuck's commentary, but I can find out what the Bible says about it. There's seriously so many helpful topics, like dating or self-image, lust, waiting on God, or even what certain religions or cults mean. I could even use this when I have a question myself. To download the Biblical Counseling eBook by Chuck Smith, or to preview a demo, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. To find out more, you can call 1-800-272-9673. 1-800-272-9673.